0: You know, I've gone through phases with all this stuff over and over again. Everything, you know, everything becomes an obsessive period, and usually they run in cycles. So mm-hmm. I've gotten off coffee before. I've gotten heavy into tea before. I'm very heavy into tea. A lot of loose teas I'm dealing with now. <laughs> Um, and then it loops back around. I'm back on nicotine lozenges. I was off everything for a few months. And I started smoking cigars here and there, and then eventually it becomes two cigars a day. I can't breathe. My mouth hurts. How do I get off the cigars? Get back on the lozenges. So now I'm, you know, falling asleep with a half a lozenge in my mouth. It's just the way it goes. So probably with vinyl too, my friend. So vinyl.
1: Your addiction is just now is just managing addictions.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, you can look at it that way. Uh, Some are addictions, literally that change my physiology and my brain chemistry Mm -hmm. others are obsessions that have a different uh means to an end gotcha you know but you can never meet the end with either of them so it's a constant pursuit of
1: completion or feeling better i like (laughs) Well, hey it's a juggle (laughs) Sponsor of the ThruLine podcast, Huckberry.com. It's very important to me for this podcast to have sponsors that really resonate with what the podcast is all about. And Huckberry is a fantastic, fantastic company that is uh, basically a, a men's clothing, and but so much, so much more. There's uh, camping gear, there's people who are into coffee, name it, they have it. Um, the way they describe themselves as an independent online real ta- retailer for guys who live in the city but live for adventure. And they have over a million young active professionals trust them f- as their leading resource and retailer for emerging brands, gear, and lifestyle inspiration. And since the podcast is going to tackle all different kinds of t- topics from you know do- this week's episode of Vinyl Records to living situations when I lived in a condemned house, playing cards. Binoculars, storytelling, um, documentary filmmaking, so many different things. I thought Huckberry was the perfect partnership. And I really, really love what they do. If you go on their site, huckberry.com, they have the coolest stuff. If you want to buy an axe, you can buy an axe. You want to buy a hatchet, buy a hatchet. You want to. You want to get a camping hat, you want to get a backpack, a, a a duffel bag, you want to get sleeping bags, you want to get boots, shoes, socks, pants, and it's got the, they have the coolest stuff. I got a great waxed like outdoor jacket with like a blanket lining inside so it's like super warm but can handle the rain on the outside. I got a great like knit sweater when I was back in New York. They have a Brick and Mortar in New York and Otherwise, everything's online. And now, with this episode, they have record players on there. I'm like, oh, well, I'm just going to get a new record player because they have like the coolest products. And the thing I like about them is they're taking other brands that you've never heard of, but they seek out a quality and an aesthetic that fits what Huckberry is all about. And something that I thought was really interesting is like you can go on their site, Huckberry.com, and they'll lead you off their site to other things that they find interesting, which people don't do that. But... For them, they want to introduce people to new things and they want you to come here for, yeah, you're coming here because you believe in th- what they're curating. You know what I mean? Like they have cool airbud cases, great flannel shirts, bags. I mean, I'm just looking at the site right now and it's just so many cool stuff, you know, a, a little smart garden where you can just like grow a little garden in your kitchen. And they have so many cool brands that I hadn't heard of. And when I went in the shop, I was like, man, I, you know, I'm not going to spend a ton of cash right now <laughs> because, uh, but I, I end up walking out of there with a jacket, a sweater and, um, a candle that I brought <laughs> as a gift to someone else. And then, and then a flannel. So it, amazing stuff. We partnered up. This isn't just like a one-time thing where they came in and like, Hey, yeah, we want you to advertise. They really, they love the idea of the podcast. And I've talked with some of the guys who were in the ground floor when they got started and. Everybody over there thinks it's a great fit. And I was really excited to have them on board and really proud to have them partner up. So they're going to be around for a little while with us. Um, you can also get furniture on there, which I think is so rad. You can just go on there and be like, oh, I love this watch. You know what? Let me grab this, this uh, entertainment center as well. So... Go over to Huckberry.com. There's something on there for everything. They also have women's gifts. They have bedding. Name it, they have it. So I'm really proud to have Huckberry.com on board for the podcast. Um, So go over there and take a look and see what you can find. I sit down with each guest for about an hour, hour and 15 minutes, and then I take that episode or that interview and cut it down to 15 minutes to 20 minutes to fit this episode, but both full length interviews with both Mark Marin and Jimmy Greenwood are available at my Patreon page, www.patreon.com throughline. T H R U L I N E. So if you're interested in hearing the full interview with each guest, head over to the Patreon page, get your subscription, and give it a listen. Skip back to the podcast. Uh, this episode. Of the through line is on vinyl and I thought who better to have on the podcast than Mark Maron who's as you will see sitting down with him passionate and obsessive about music and from that vinyl and from that the equipment he listens to vinyl on and through a really good friend of mine Andrew Sicking who's an actor who I did a movie with over the summer he put me in touch with my second guest jimmy or jim greenwood who was the owner and founder of licorice pizza which was a record shop in the 70s and 80s that he grew from one shop in long beach to 34 record shops across southern california this is the through line i am jay larson and today's topic is vinyl as a kid growing up my mom listened to one thing and that was classical music she listened to it on a radio. We grew up outside of Boston in a small town, Stoneham, Massachusetts, and 102.5 was the only radio station in my mom's car that was played. And inside the house, it was the same. We didn't have a record player, and we didn't have a cassette player. If you wanted one, you bought one. For me, my sister Kristen, who was the oldest in the family... And since it's a musical podcast, I'll give you Sister Kristen. You're the only one. She had a record player in her room, and I remember going down, and she had those colored plastic crates full of her records that had Queen and Billy Joel, um, probably Talking Heads, and that was I wasn't allowed to listen to them, but I could go look at them, and that was the first introduction to vinyl was just what she had in her collection because by the time I was interested in music and listening to music, we were listening to cassettes and I bought one of these little tiny radios. You put one cassette in and you could record on it and vinyl to me was never anything that as an adult, I felt cool enough to have. I knew a lot of friends like Roy Scovell and Nick Thune that were listening to vinyl, Joe DeRosa Jonah Ray, these are comedian friends that were listening to vinyl, but I never thought that I was cool enough to listen to vinyl. I never thought I knew enough about music to get vinyl. And I think, you know, there's certain things that we get intimidated by in life because we don't, either we don't think we belong or we don't think we know enough about it. And for me, I never really knew a lot about music. It wasn't music is probably the single greatest thing in my mother's life. It's the thing that keeps her alive. It's the thing that gets her out of bed. It's the thing that will move her to tears or joy or anger. But it's all classical. It's all classical music. The only other music my mother would listen to were the Beatles, and she wouldn't listen to them. She would tolerate us listening to it. So I didn't really have a lot of knowledge about music, so I was always intimidated by it. And vinyl especially, you got to be cool, and you go in there, and whoever's working there knows so much about music. And when everyone started getting into vinyl, I didn't really know anything about it. Until one day, I looked up on my wall in my house, and I saw three framed records that were my grandfather's. They're huge, super heavy, thick, and big and round, bigger than any record that you play on your record player. And I was like, wait a minute. My grandfather used to make records. He had a recording studio. That was something he did. It's in your blood. You're connected to vinyl. So I started buying it. I started buying vinyl, not for me. I mean, I bought it for me, but I didn't have a record player. My wife was like, what are you doing? You're just buying? You don't even have a record player. I'm like, yeah, but I will someday. I will someday. One of the reasons I started this podcast was because as a comedian, people just lump you in to be the funny guy. But I always had so many interests outside of comedy. I like to build stuff. I like architecture. I like cars. I like watches. I like books. I like food. I like cooks. I, I like a lot of stuff. You know, I like nature. And I wanted to find a way to connect with other artists, comedians or otherwise, or just ordinary people that happened to start businesses, and talked to them about things that I had interest in. And I didn't know that I had an interest in vinyl until I just started collecting it. And luckily enough, I have some interesting friends, one of which, Logan Marshall Green, who I did the movie The Invitation with, and I was at his house one day, and he said, uh, hey, do you have a record player? I'm like, no, I want one. I'm like, look at your system. And I'm looking at his, and he's like, I got one. And I go, yeah, no, I can see that. He's like, no, I have another one, you jackass. And I go, oh, okay. And he shows it to me. He goes, listen, it's called a vert, which means you put the record on vertically. You don't put it down on it. It kind of hangs on it. And then there's the record player arm comes across and plays on it. He said they're very temperamental. They were made in the 80s. They were kind of a fad. It's a super cool thing. But, you know, they can be a pain in the butt. If you want it, you can have it. And he gave me an amp to go with it, and I was like, oh, man, this is so cool. So I took it to a guy who fixed it up, and then that's what we did. We just started listening to records. And so if it wasn't for, you know, my job on that movie, I would never know Logan. I wouldn't have got the record player to play the records that I have. And I started realizing that, like, oh, yeah, you can be a guy who's into vinyl without being a vinyl guy. But if I was going to sit down and talk to anyone about vinyl and it was in comedy, it'd be Mark Maron. As you'll see in this interview, I found out quite early on that I was overmatched. And Mark didn't lead on to it, although I sat there the whole time like, he can't stand me because that's what you do as a comedian sometimes because he just knew so much more about music than I did and knew so much more about the equipment that went with vinyl and to have a record player. And I loved every second of it because I love being around people that know more than me and are willing to share their information as long as you can keep up because you have to be gathering information. And in this interview, we we go from how he got into music and vinyl to the gear he uses to the guys that the record shops that he goes to. And then my second guest was the guy that people went to. His name is Jimmy Greenwood. He opened licorice pizza in the seventies all the way through the eighties and When sitting down talking to Jimmy, a guy who's been removed from the vinyl world for almost 40 years, you start to realize that the people that have record shops have a love for records and for music. And a guy like Jimmy took that same love that he had for music and for records in the community in and around it, and he put it towards his family. And it became this idea that we sat down and talked about vinyl, but we ended up talking about so much more. Let's go right now to Highland Park, where I met Mark over at his office to talk about vinyl and hear about how he got into music in the first place.
0: When I was a young, very young, like under 10. I somehow inherited this iowa portable cassette player with detachable speakers so we're talking like 1971 72 yeah and i had a box of cassettes that you know must have come from my parents and in that box of cassettes uh the ones that stuck with me was um so they gave you like a music starter kit well i don't know it was just around yeah and no one was using it like i don't know what what part of their life they had it or why they might have bought it on a trip they took to uh, Japan in the late, in the like maybe 1970, because then my Dang dad it. bought stereo equipment, you know, then uh, there in Japan. I remember that because when we grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, we moved from Alaska because my old man was in the military. And then we moved uh, to New Mexico after he did his two-year stint being stationed in Anchorage. So they went Got to it. the Orient. Is it? Can you call it that? I don't know. If they we can went call to it Asia. That. I can.
1: I can edit that
0: out. But I do love
1: that you went for it.
0: Uh, they went to Asia mm-hmm. uh, and went to Japan, and they bought some Sansui uh, sound system there. It Didn't turn out to be a great sound system, but it yeah. was big speakers. So that was around when we moved to New Mexico. And this box of cassettes had had johnny cash live at san quentin which had an effect on me yeah i bet boy named sue specifically it had uh credence clearwater's cosmos factory okay which uh up around the bend has is still like a piercing guitar riff Mm -hmm. at the beginning of that that like changed my life um and bobby gentry's greatest hits Was in there. Wow. So, um, Billy Joe, Ode to Billy Joe, was seared into my brain. And then Jerry Vale's greatest hits. So, Little Green Apples was also in the rotation.
1: And you were getting a mix of everything because they're greatest hits.
0: Right. And then at some point, like when I moved to vinyl, like when I I had a little sort of suitcase player in my basement, I I became obsessed with the song Roll Over Beethoven as done by the Beatles on the second album. So I bought that album, and then for some reason, I bought Mountain, you know, Leslie West and Mountain did a cover of Roll Over Beethoven, and I was obsessed with the song. But it took me a long time to get to Chuck Berry. So Roll Over Beethoven was just driving you through. Well, the Chuck Berry opening was something I was obsessed with and still kind of am. I mean, and how are and you I'm even... also a guitar player. Yeah, so. of course.
1: How are you finding that music? How are you finding like that other people are covering music. It's not like today where, like, if, if you went to search "Roll over Beethoven, they would all come up. But back then, how are you even knowing that there's another version out
0: there? Well, I had my parents. It's weird, the Chuck Berry thing. Like, I, you know, because that became an obsession for me. My parents had records upstairs. Mm-hmm. They had their own records. But the records I had downstairs were Mountains. I think that must have been the... A, I don't know if it's the greatest hits album or not, but they did Mississippi Queen and they did Roll Over Beethoven as part of this medley thing. Uh, it's pretty heavy. I had Aqualung for some reason. Uh, and
1: now you can't buy albums at
0: 8 and 10. No, my grandmother, I remember, bought me uh, some records. I Someone bought them for me. And That's I had insane. Meet the Beatles, too. And yeah. I had some Partridge Family records. And when I was very young in Alaska in the late 60s, I, I had a couple of Bobby Sherman albums. And one of those I found again.
1: Wow. The Bobby
0: Sherman record. Yeah. Uh, I bought it, and it wasn't that expensive. No one's collecting Bobby Sherman no, records. No, I can't imagine. <laughs> but upstairs, my parents had uh, the Beatles' Let It Be. They had um, Chuck Berry's London Sessions, which are it's a double record. There's a few of those. Howling Wolf did one. Muddy Waters did one, where they played with a bunch of musicians. The London Sessions were though. the, the um, I think the Chuck Berry one was live. And uh, but now I know there's, you know, a lot of great British musicians on there. Sure. And they had um, Melanie, and th- which is, you know... I got a, a brand new pair of roller skates. I got a brand new pair yeah. of roller skates. They had that. They had um, uh, Janis Joplin's Pearl. And when my mother told me that she died of a heroin overdose, I associated the cover and the back cover of Pearl with what heroin looks like. I couldn't believe that that woman on the cover of Pearl you know, yeah. died that way. But if you look at the back, that, that band looks like heroin. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was all in my brain. What age did she tell you that? Well, I must have been around, you know, I was 10. I was 10.
1: Interesting. But, but those, I don't even know if I knew what that was. Those were early
0: on. Yeah. But the, what I was getting to is that when I worked across a new university in New Mexico when I was, like, 15 uh, at the Posh Bagel, like, I was, like, hanging around college students, and there was a record store next door called uh, Budget Records. Uh-huh. And the people that owned it was this mixed couple, and they were primarily <laughs> – I don't fo- think you can say that. I can't? No, you can't. Oh. Well, you know, you know the, the black dude – hmm. They were an R&B store. They wanted to deal in R&B, so and that's what they played in the store. Yeah. So at some point, you know, she gave me this box of rock records, promo records that you know they weren't going to play in the store. Yeah. And it was great because, like, I remember like Elvis Costello's first record was in there, Mm -hmm. George Thorogood and the Destroyers, uh, a bunch of ones that like weren't really anything. Some an Ian Hunter record. Did you at all get into R&B
1: just because you were so close to it and it was there?
0: Not yet. What happened was like I took those records and like uh, I was very you know I'm a blues head in a way and I'm, like I like pretty basic rock and I did when I was younger. So George Thorogood really kind of scratched an itch mm-hmm. for me. But Elvis Costello, watching The Detectives and Mystery Dance in that first record, yeah, you know I you know I had that when it came out, so that was exciting. But I never really went that way uh, until later. Um, but they had a guy that worked there. What was his name? There was Steve Larue, who recently killed himself. He was a You know, an artist, uh, a musical artist, a weird kind of tripped out dude. And worked at his record store? But he knew all the weird shit. So he turned me on to Brian Eno, The Residents, John Hassel, Fred Frith, um, King Crimson, Robert Fripp. That Like he was into like sort of
1: out there don't you love having people like that in you your need life them. yeah that, like told- you have friends like I remember when I met my wife she was like crazy into music and the, like that would be the thing like she would give me politics and music yeah and I would give her comedy architecture design like yeah. that was the trade-off
0: I didn't have a big brother so you need them I always ask people on my podcast who are your guys because you got them got now them. lately I've been you know getting like emails like can it be who are your people I mean yeah why is it got to be gender specific <laughs> but so he turned me on to all that stuff and he had a band that played once a year called Jungle Red and they used to wear surgical scrubs and I went to one show and they had a you know baby arms taped to a guitar that I lent them as my brother's Ibanez West Paul and they broke Fiesta wear during the show and you know, it was that kind of thing. So they didn't mess up your brother's guitar though. He wasn't playing it and I didn't really care about it in retrospect. I wish I had it now But it was an altered Ibanez Paul had a really weird dumb pickup on there and I don't know I I don't know what happened in that thing, but he turned me on to that stuff Then there was another guy. I think his name was Bill who worked at the record store and he took me to his house Mm -hmm. You know when I was 15 or 16 and he had all the old soul and R&B stuff so we sat there for like hours and he made me a cassette of like Otis, Sam and Dave, Shut yeah, so, so the I, quality of that cassette must have been terrible, you're recording
1: off of
0: the well, record player to cassette, well yeah, well you could do that through wire, sure, it wasn't but still. holding a mic up, but no, they were pretty, uh, you know, you could get high end cassette tapes, you know, not Memorex, maybe TDK, but they all made a, you know, a, an ultra high end tape, yeah, and if you had a good needle, you know, you get good recordings, that was, and this is your first mixtape? I guess it would have been, yeah Amazing Yeah, but it, like I played the shit out of it To the point where I had to tape it Like because it got stuck in the machine Like you know I had to do my own That's splicing awesome. I did a lot of that kind of stuff But yeah, so that got me Kind of like The essential of that stuff mm-hmm and then like I would buy records here and there I think Steve turned me on to Tom Waits I think in that original box of records Mm -hmm. that I got from Budget that they wouldn't play in the store was Nighthawks at the Diner the double live album that Tom did before he went you know off the grid with his imagination you ever heard that record no it's almost a comedy record it's like a lounge act like he does a lot of you know talking in between songs and he's
1: using the it's title funny. of an ed hopper t- uh painting which well is yeah the cover cool. is is
0: yeah. him sitting in a diner in a you pose and i for for a long time i, I would try to dress like that picture really and on the back yeah, i wore a cap and only buttoned down shirts
1: some music was more of an influence to you than comedy was yeah the
0: first guitar I ever bought was uh that one of my parents bought it for me it was a telecaster because keith richards played one
1: wow yeah, that's hardcore so you do dive into things
0: man you're either in it or you're out of it yeah yeah oh, oh, i am a lot of times yeah but it doesn't always last long like so it? i had those records they were important to me and then like you know whatever happened you know college cds college like i picked up some records like my friend bob gaffney Would he you left- school bu i rented his that's apartment right. and he left these records that were his brother's so that it was like somehow or another i i ended up with um Velvet Underground, Live in 69, which is one of the greatest records ever. Wow. Live in 69. And a couple weird Doors bootlegs. And then I dated a a woman who was into punk rock, but I never gravitated that much towards it at that point. But she also turned me on to uh, Roxy Music and um, some other stuff. We were both into Bowie a bit and... I mean, and then I had a friend in, uh, in elementary school and junior high that was a Beatles fanatic who had all the Beatles records, and he was the first guy I knew who had all of anything. And in in, in, so I got a little obsessed with those things. Yeah. But yeah, um, it was all over the map. And then I had friends in high school. You know, like, I used to work for the restaurant that catered concerts, and, like, I ended up seeing a lot of concerts I didn't care about, but I saw a few that I did. Yeah. Like, my buddy Dave was in, you know, these guys who were into Rush. I was not a prog rock guy. I never really locked in, but I ended up seeing the Nuge, like, two or three times in high school because that was the time.
1: Yeah. Let me ask you this. So, earlier you were saying how, like, with Credence, you're trying to, like, make people aware of, like, how great they were overall as a band, not just with their greatest hits. Skinner, Skinner. Yeah. And... What I find with records is nowadays, if you hear a song you don't like either on your iPad or your iPhone or yep. your car, you just skip it and you go to the next yep. song. But when you listen to an album, you sit there and you listen to the whole album. Mm-hmm. So like, you're going like, to skip through some of the... You would never skip through songs that weren't their hits because it, you're just listening to the album. That's right. That's right. And you know, as I got... You know, probably not long
0: ago, you, you realize that some people, who, some recording artists, are thinking in terms of a whole record. Mm-hmm. Others are just trying to fill it out. Yeah, like there are some records that are thoughtfully produced by the artists that are supposed to work as an album. Yeah, and then there are other people that are like, "Well, we had these songs laying around." Yeah, you don't really need to know that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, you do listen to the whole record. You know, I do find that, uh, you know, I that is part of the enjoyment yeah. of it.
1: It slows everything down a little, I think.
0: Yeah, the whole process of putting it on. Like I have a fancy record player that doesn't return the needle, mm-hmm. so like you know, my it, mind doesn't you know, either. either. Yeah, so you got to get up. Yeah, and you got to turn it over.
1: Just hearing all that, just that chunk, you can see how much Mark knows about music and about vinyl and the people that he's been able to meet. And for me, the beauty was about records is being able to sit and just listen to one whole side of a record and listen to one whole tone. You're not just putting on the greatest hits, you're learning about the song. And I think that's something that really connects with Mark as well. But when you're Mark Marin, you're able to meet some people that other people can't. And they end up, just like my friend Logan, I mentioned, gave me a record player, which got me listening to records. In Mark's career, he crosses paths with some people that influence him to get better gear to play his records on. So let's listen a little bit of who may have influenced Mark to get the setup that he's got.
0: I guess I started in 2000 and probably 9 or 10 mm-hmm. you know where I was kind of conscious of like you know wanting to get a setup a vinyl setup and and I think what really blew my mind was I'd gone down to Nashville to interview Jack White and I was I went to Third Man and that's where we I did the interview oh, but he had like you know in this back room there you know in his lounge area yeah. you know he had sort of in my memory like a wall of Macintosh um components you know not not apple macintosh but american mac the the stereo the tube amplifiers and stuff and i was always mildly obsessed with macintosh because my great uncle had one at his house it ended up at my my uh second cousin's house like it was like it was a an, an american made premium audio component and it has been for years yeah and they look good. But Jack had a ton of them, and I'm like, man, what, what would it take to get just one of those? Do I even have the money? And then I don't know how long it went by, and I went and bought a Macintosh uh, preamp, and I bought a, uh, what was, what did I get first? No, first, like, the Macintosh was too expensive, so I bought this. I mean, this- what are we talking, like, 2500 or are we talking, like, twelve grand? We're talking for the preamp, it was probably seven or eight grand, I think. Holy shit. But I had bought something less expensive. I wanted to get into tube amps, and I wanted to get, you know, so I'd gotten a Rogue Audio tube amp, which but is a of But what, what was it about the tube
1: amp that had you so enthralled? The sound quality is it I was
0: sort of, you know, kind of fascinated with. With the integrity of analog, right, so that yeah. old morantz is a sought after thing, you know, Well, people, those are
1: beautiful, those. but
0: that's solid state, so it's it's a it's a different sound, but like that's what you start to realize is that like you Whatever you're getting is only relative to what your ears are going to process, you know. And yeah. whatever your ears have been through, or however good your ears <laughs> are, you know. So it's all really becomes incredibly subjective, yeah. Uh, in terms of sound quality and what resonates with you, like the sound of a solid state amp like that, you know, it sounds completely different than the Macintosh that I have at home. That Which is I ended still a beautiful up beautiful sound. Well, yeah. The thing that tubes—what fascinated me about tubes was that there was no solid-state components, and this this sound was traveling from this. It all seemed very organic to me. Yeah. Uh, in, as far as you know, that goes, so the Rogue audio amp was was reasonable price, so I bought it, and I just had problems with it. You know, it had a built-in preamp, a phono preamp, and it just never quite worked right. And I was dealing with this high-end outfit out there in uh, Pasadena.
1: Outfit, huh? Yeah, that one was... They split up. That one was... Um, That's one of my favorite words of all time, by the way. And, yeah, well, when someone's like, yeah, I work for this outfit out in uh, Albuquerque. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it's just yeah, like yeah. an interesting thing to hear people yeah, say. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I forget. Now I'm spacing the name because I'm old. But but anyways, that, that store split up because the, the father died. The son now opened a new store. He's who I do business with now. It's hard to find stores that deal in that. Like, there's only a few places that yeah. deal at that level of... of Components and those kind of components aren't really like when I was growing up, everybody had receivers, yeah, preamps, you know, record, you know, turntables, speakers. You go to wherever, Best Buy or whatever, and they had a whole area where you go listen. I worked at a fucking high-end stereo store when i was in high school because my best friend dave's dad owned one and they were dealing like with klipsch uh, bang and Olufsen, yamaha but high-end stuff so i was around these like you know the japanese pressings when i was a kid but there's always like spyro gyra and weird jazz song you know he was into al come fuck. but
1: anyways <laughs> he's dead now too so i think it's not always interesting by the way that yamaha like my mom's a piano player so we have she was gifted a baby grand in the house right oh yeah grand right we had a piano in my my house growing up like i would fall asleep to my mom playing piano yeah but like she always says like you know steinway is like the best but she would always say the yamaha was the greatest piano she's ever played and you're like how is yamaha making pianos stereos and motorcycles and motorcycles yeah it's amazing
0: well they had they were pretty good they were they were mid-range you know but they did make high-end stuff but there was um Oh, Magnaplaner speakers, which you see around sometimes, those those ones that are just like about four inches and they're like high, oh, they're yeah. like framed, they work on a different, whatever. So, <laughs> So when I got the first system, I was having a lot of trouble with the amp. And the speakers, I got these toy towers. It's a—I forget the name of the company that made them. But I got—I was recommended them. You know, I w- had a price range because mm-hmm. you can spend hundreds of thousands oh. of dollars on this shit. Yeah, I know. But I wasn't going to do it because I wouldn't be able to live with it. Because yeah. again, it's only relative to your ears. So the first sy- system I had, I had um, what was the first turntable? That Macintosh turntable, like, is in my office. I think it's gorgeous by the way. Look Thank at the front you. Now that. I feel bad if people are going to try to track this down and rob me. But yeah that's a beautiful thing but that's a second like ultimately what happened was I got so frustrated with the Rogue Audio, and I went through two of them, there was problems with it, back to the factory bag, and I was just getting mad, and then I got a very high-end needle, a Dynavector, and I had these speakers, and it was producing a sound that was hurting my ears. Like, there was a high-end, there was a, an element to the high-end... that you have sensitive that ears? Was, No, but it was intolerable, mm-hmm. because that needle was picking up too much detail, and I didn't have the proper components to match to the level out, yeah. of that needle. Because that needle was like it was like a thousands like fifteen hundred two thousand dollar needle, Jeez. and I thought like I'll just get the best needle I can afford it, you yeah. know what I mean, and it was terrible, and like after a lot of frustration, I ended up getting Macintosh. So I got a Macintosh preamp, the Macintosh turntable, and these other speakers, these British loudspeakers that they, they're called Spender is the brand. Again, because I was recommended them, and, and it was within the overly priced and range new? that I wanted. Yeah. No. Eventually, what happened was, so I get the Macintosh. I got a preamp and an amp. So I got the two seventy five, which is full fucking tubes, and the preamp's another another thing, mm-hmm. right? That uh, uh, you know, that's what you have to run the amp through, run the thing, the turntable or your receiver, or whatever, through the preamp, and then you know the amp, and then goes directly out to the speakers. So I get this Macintosh stuff, the 275, which I reissued, which is a classic Macintosh um, amp, and it looks great, and that thing started to fuck up. And the preamp was like this new generation, they, they changed the look of everything, and it's still not, it's like it's not right, in the turntable, I'm just not getting the sound I want, and I start to just get, just it was a disaster. So I eventually, I went back to the store, because I was having a hard time with that amp, because mm-hmm. it was burning tubes, and I'm like, this is brand new, and I'd just been through the Rogue Audio thing, and they were sort of like, you just got bad luck, man, and I'm like, well, it's your store, and eventually what I did was like, give me the speakers you have on the floor, the ones that you've been using and i'll take that amp that you have on the floor they're already broken in that's
1: what i want give me that stuff yeah so were they being cool with you were they like oh man here he comes again probably both what are they gonna do (laughs) (laughs) they talk about behind you you yeah yeah
0: of course so i got this stuff and i and and eventually like i got rid of the preamp that was a new generation because uh macintosh did this like um retro Preamp, like the Mm -hmm. old timey style. I mean, your face is lighting up right now. Yeah, it's an analog. Like the the newer one had some solid state elements, but it was like too flashy, it kind of matched that turntable. That thing lights up, it gets all green. Yeah. we used them on my TV show, yeah, and that 's what you know got me into it oh, that's so cool. I was like, fuck it, then I traded I, I, I traded in the newer one for this reissued analog one, and then I got the two seventy five and the spenders, and then I, I decided i didn 't like this turntable, even and no matter how flashy it is, and I got another turntable that I like better, and finally, the system just leveled off because I like it to sound. Real clean and real up front.
1: Yeah, okay. I'm getting that. Okay, big time. But at the same time, are you the kind of guy that's you're just never going to be satisfied and you like you no, like researching and exploring? No, nope. So now you're done. You have your system nope. and you're dialed.
0: Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, you know, if I have issues, I'll tweak them. But the problem with doing that with stereo equipment at this high end, because I'm at the low end of the high end. So if you start doing that business where you're never happy, yeah, it, it's going to be a money hole if you have money. Yeah. Like, because you can spend a fortune and never get it right. Like, I know what kind of sound I like. Some people prefer it to be a little more compressed than I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, like w- my speakers, are like you hear exactly what's on the record and it's right up front. But some people like speakers that you know shape it a little more. Like these components will shape sound. Yeah, but like uh, I don't know what it is. I just I like it to sound like it, like it, the I want... day they recorded it. Yeah, and and with some jazz records, because of that. Like, you sound like you're in the room. If your equipment's oh, yeah. just good, it is, is high-end, but doesn't need to be spectacular, the production on jazz records is so not fucked with. yeah. That, like, you know, I, the first, someone gave me the reissue of Giant Steps by Coltrane on the on the heavy vinyl at 45 speed, and I played that through my system, and it was like, it was like he was in the room.
1: That's and I'm like,
0: well, that's the barometer. See, it's like, how good does jazz sound on this shit?
1: Yeah. See, I have a friend who used to be, he's an engineer, uh-huh. but he would record a lot of bands, and he would set things up differently, so then he started doing researching on how, Certain albums were recorded, you know, yeah. and there were times where, like, you would mic the whole room, and then there were times where he would set up one mic yeah. in like a in a in a wood crate, right? You know what I mean, to yep. absorb the sound or get it differently. Makes and all I was like, man, what a crazy way of like approaching your business. That's the other thing is
0: some great records that we grew up with don't sound great yeah. when you play them on high end equipment. And when I talked to John Fogarty because like credence albums sound great and it, they're old ones, the old fantasy discs, they're mm-hmm. heavy vinyl and they hold up. I mean, you can you know run those things over and the grooves are so deep. It doesn't necessarily affect them. That's an exaggeration. But for some reason, credence albums sound great on a good stereo because the production is very sort of straight ahead. And uh, like, I'll always play, if people want to hear the system, I'll put on this Credence record. Like, you know, oddly, just a cover of uh, 99 and a half," which is a Wilson Pickett song. Uh, it's on, I can't remember which Credence record. But but I talked to Fogarty about it. I said, How, well, what were you thinking when you recorded those records? He's like, I was thinking it was coming out of an AM speaker in yeah. the front of a car. So, like, all I'm thinking is, like, when the guitar playing's playing, move that up front. When the singing's going, put that up front. Damn.
1: I'll tell you why people want to work with people like Mark Maron. It's because they make things easy. You just say, okay, you talk. Because he knows so much and he's so uh, well-spoken, much better spoken than I am. That doesn't even sound like good English right there or even good English. Right English? Correct English? Either way, it's just cool to hear like one interaction with Jack White can take your interest level in something to another level. Which is why I found this next chunk so interesting, because behind every record that you buy is a record store owner, and Mark gives us a little glimpse into his record store owners, the people that curate them, and how they continue to turn him on to new music and help him to grow as a music listener and ultimately as a person.
0: You know, when you shop at used record stores um, that aren't just junk stores, they're usually curated in either intentionally or not by the guy who runs the place mm-hmm. so here in this neighborhood you know i've got my buddy dan cook around the corner on fig uh, at gimme gimme And then you've got permanent records uh, with lance you know down the street and he's got two shops across the street from each other and lance is more into like like there's a lot of stuff i didn't know about which is why i like the vinyl more than anything else is that outside of the range i understand you know even with jazz or what with whatever you know i know that these guys these main guys and i've got you know i do do like some weirdo music but Mm -hmm. but there's it's endless right so it's endless how many records were made you know, it, and it's kind of, it's bizarre because you'll always find a record where you're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, What, what is this guy? So there's just thousands of these records. So I'm and, always, it's a discovery process, but I need, like I'll have course. Dan, I'll be, I'll call Dan up or I'll text him. I'll be like, you know, you, you, can you put some aside for me? What You know, and he'll, he's got his own taste. He's been selling used records for decades. Sure. So like, but he's very sort of prone. He likes country. He likes certain sort of jazz. He likes kind of, you know, uh, Laurel Canyon-y sounding stuff, oh, so he's yeah. got a, like, Mike Nesmith, and, you know, the, you know, like, he turned me on to a lot of that world, but he's got a, uh, a, and I and he knows about the weird shit, too, so he, but he knows what albums are great. And, and he's
1: he, also probably, like, knowing what he needs to keep in that shop, right? Because even if he's not into, like, bluegrass, he's going to keep bluegrass in because he's got to have a bluegrass section, right? Yeah, but right? he knows
0: about that stuff. I'm sure like he, he, does. he He's turned me on to bluegrass records and old country records and old jazz records, so, but yeah, but these guys usually buy estates and collections, so yeah. they end up like going like, "Wow, this has got some good stuff in it." But you know, he's got like one hundred and fifty, two hundred dollar jazz records yeah. because they're first printing on on with the six I Columbia label, whatever it's called. And so, and Lance turned me on to Krautrock. You know, he turned me on to sort of some of the weirder That's kind of like rock, garage right? rock. Yeah. Uh, but it's called crowd rock I, I can know. say that I right? was guessing yeah but uh, but he turned me on to all that kind of weird kind of like garagey stuff and, and so they deal in that stuff so he and, and he, you know they they know their shit so like I usually I've been pulled back a little bit Lately, because i got a lot that I haven't moved through. And then you start to buy records twice and you start to realize, like, I got to you know slow down a feel, little. Well, yeah, or catalog them or something.
1: So cool to hear Mark talk about the integrity of analog and listening to music. And if you listen to Mark's podcast, you know, he's just obsessive and he's going to dive in and research and study things, whether it's his tea or coffee, tobacco or preamps. But hearing him talking to John Fogerty and how he re- recorded his albums and how that influenced him and how knowledgeable Mark is and was able to have that conversation with John Fogerty is something that just I'm envious of. I, I, I yearn like Mark knows music. Like I know baseball. I could talk to anyone about baseball, any baseball player, about any generation. I can talk offense, defense, hitting, fielding, strikeouts precision pitchers power hitters average hitters and Mark can do all that in music which is something that uh, as someone who really didn't have music played in his life outside of classical is really cool and there's so much more we talk about in the full length uh, interview at the Patreon page so please go over there and check that out but before you do we left off with Mark talking about the people that run record shops now and now almost all record shops are used record shops But back in the day, record shops were just record shops. And if it wasn't for people like my next guest, there wouldn't be record shops. And he started a record shop. Ultimately, when he was in college at USC, he would go to um, a wholesale shop and buy records and sell them in his dad's stores. And eventually, when he graduated, he opened his own record shop. Something he knew, a passion for music and love of music, took him to opening his own shop. Licorice Pizza. So here I am in Sherman Oaks, sitting down with Jimmy Greenwood to talk about licorice pizza. So you open licorice pizza after you graduate. Yeah. And then when you As sold it, you went from one store to 30 stores.
2: We had 34 stores when we sold it. That's insane. It was lucky. I was lucky and it was a great period the thing about licorice pizza and other people duplicated record stores yeah we were in los angeles yeah which happened to be the center of the music business yeah so we got to go to so much stuff and grow i mentioned russ solomon yeah. just the most wonderful character he opened here maybe in 71 he opened down in on the strip and i got to see him all the time buddies traveling around the world because the record companies would take you around the world and promote you. It was great. So, yeah, I just got into it, and it grew in a wonderful period. Met my wife. Uh, she came in for an interview. No way. It, it, it kind of all connected.
1: Yeah, I know, but I feel like just from the limited research I've done on what you, the environment you created, it wasn't just – I mean, was it part of the time being that – from what it sounds like, you were also selling like almost like a head shop, weren't were, you selling yeah, like sure. bongs and and paraphernalia as well? There was
2: a period. Everybody smoked dope, or sure. Whatever. Uh, there was a period where we had counters, we had glass counters with paraphernalia, yeah, from papers to pipes to bongs. That went away. I'm going to say in the late seventies. At, at how many the stores? The government said you had to put them in a separate area. Oh, the government, okay. the city, yeah. Yeah, I don't know exactly. Yeah. But it was cool. Of course. Oh, my God.
1: It was almost like your store was more of a lifestyle than it was a music shop, don't you think?
2: Yes. Yes. uh, But we had music. And you were talking about selection and people coming in and playing records. Yeah. There were three chains at the time. Okay. You were talking about licorice. Yeah. Uh, Licorice, we uh, provided service and selection. Mm -hmm. Tower stacked them high, sold them cheap. Warehouse... They kind of had them all over the place and, and, and got whatever they could for it. They were like a very corporate chain. Yeah. But at some point, it was all about service. So it was all about listening to the people. It was all about what do you want. All Request Sound System yeah. would play, like we would play whatever anybody wanted on the
1: sound system. Which is huge, because back then, the only place you were hearing music was on the radio, right?
2: Oh, it was great. And somebody came in and said, like you said, what did you? Uh, what do you think I should listen to? Yeah. What's selling? What's good? I yeah. like Led Zeppelin. What should I hear? I yeah. like
1: this. I have a friend who's got a wine bar in Hollywood, and their whole business model is: you sit down. There's no wine list. You just tell them, "Oh, this. I, you know, I like Pinots, but I like, you know, blah blah blah." And they'll be like, "Okay," and they'll come over and like, "What do you think about this?" And they build to your palate, which I think a lot of people That's just right. want to be, you know. Professionals are, uh, professionals are professionals for a reason. Trust them. Let them guide you because, yeah. you know, if you don't know anything about music or wine, you want someone who does. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. It is. Uh, it's. It was a great thing to do. Now you carry the 20 million songs in your pocket yeah. and you can experiment with whatever you want to whatever hear. Whatever you want to hear. And then it refers you to something that sounds like
1: it. Yeah. It's
2: a beautiful thing.
1: So let me ask you this. Yes. When you first were selling in the, when you were in college and you were just, people were basically buying whatever your taste was were you, how were you picking out because if you were selling just like a rack how many different artists were you putting out at a time when you were in those uh stores not before before you opened licorice pizza
2: there were six faces to, uh, there were probably uh 75 records oh okay but uh, easier because you know what sells you know what you're listening to yeah you know what's on the charts you buy it you sell it it comes out i remember we sold the double white album the Beatle album yeah that was one of the things that released when i had those racks amazing and it just sold you know it sold
1: but i mean we the warehouses anyone could just go in there and be like oh you got records here i can buy records
2: yeah different time different time my friend yeah different time yeah because where could you get your records at Wallax music city
1: yeah that was the only place
2: and they were let's say four ninety nine, and ours were two ninety nine. and you walked by and you could buy a record it didn't last for a long time but it lasted until i opened the first store
1: yeah until you had to and what was your price comparison back then compared to like tower records
2: you know i think we had the same prices but they had the image of stack them high sell them cheap and they had huge selection yeah, we had more tailored selections and more service. Yeah, Our people really like the music. Wonderful characters. Uh,
1: and how would you go about? I mean, because obviously, when you had the first one, hiring is easy. You get the people who know the most about probably everyone that worked there was a musician, I'm guessing.
2: Uh, a lot of them. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And then but when you have 34 stores, are you still able like were you did you still have did you have like a model in which you hired people?
2: Oh, my God, that's so sophisticated. Um,
1: well, you had yes. 34 stores.
2: Yes, but it started with the people who walked in who wanted to be there. Yeah. And then there was the refining of that. And then the people who wanted to be there became managers. And the managers became district managers. And the district managers became executives. And and there was, there was just more natural, organic growth, if you will, yeah. than planned.
1: And I'm sure, like, some of those guys that were managers didn't think – they didn't want to be a lawyer no and all of a sudden you're giving them a chance to be in the same business and be a district manager
2: we gave each other chances a great period yeah you oh no you don't know that period
1: no i don't
2: you will it was amazing music the record store mm-hmm. was the center of the cultural universe yeah. And people came to it and they wanted to be involved in it and they loved to hear the music and they loved to sell the music and they loved to meet the chicks and they loved yeah. all the stuff that went on and the guys. I yeah. Don't do that. Uh, but it was just such a. Yeah, I want you to go back. I want you to do it.
1: What do you mean, go back in time?
2: I want you to go back in time to when the record store was the cultural center of society.
1: I mean, I wish I could. Close your eyes. <laughs> <Sleep>. Um <laughs> no, it was
2: it was cool. Hard to repeat. Not now. Now it's very sophisticated retailing. Although some retailers just gloriously listen.
1: Well, I think now like the record stores that are back, you know, because they're back. Absolutely. There's still these like at least the one in my neighborhood, Time Warp Records in Mar Vista, is a total um mismatch of things. It's records and it's everything you can imagine, but then he also sells like systems because some huh. people are like, yeah, I want to get records again, but I don't have a system, so he'll yeah. sell like, and they're old, they're vintage systems and and now people are starting to go back to cassettes, you know what yeah. I mean? Now <laughs> right. now cassettes are coming back in. <laughs> right. But when when you were doing vinyl, what were 8-tracks out? Were 8-tracks before or after vinyl?
2: 8-tracks were there. 4-tracks actually started. Oh my God. Vinyl, singles, LPs. Yeah. Then eight tracks. Then they were replaced with cassettes. Then they were replaced with CDs. Yeah. Then vinyl began to go down. And the store, we began to sell uh, uh, VHS and rent. Uh, oh, really? Video cassettes. So that came in. Amazing. Uh, but it all transition. All of that transition went on during the period. And it moved away, and then record stores were probably the first casualty to online, uh, to Napster and those oh, file-sharing things. The ones
1: that were, still, I mean, because the last the Tower. went away. Yeah, because isn't the last Tower Records gone, right?
2: The tower, yeah, they went bankrupt in the mid-2000s. Funny enough, though, they still have 70 Tower stores in Japan.
1: No way.
2: The active retail presence is still in Japan. Russ sold those stores as part of some of the reconfiguration he was doing but they're still available you still see them why is that boy you got me okay why is it i think that they don't have napster like they don't have they don't have have everything over there they must have everything yeah and must download like five times faster than ours i know but they still have the retail stores big store tower records still there as of six months ago wow yeah
1: maybe they just have an appreciation i mean i personally like i still go grocery shopping i have friends that get their groceries delivered right we got rid of amazon in my house we don't have amazon uh, i like i like going to the bank i don't like deposit checks uh, through my phone yeah and i like going to a store and like interacting cuz you i feel like you learn You know, it's the same thing when I go, like I told you, I go to my record shop and I'll be like, hey, you know who I like? I like this. Do you have that? And they'll be like, no, but you know what you would dig? Like I got into Hawaiian music for a while and I was just buying like Hawaiian albums and the guy was like, oh man, you know what you got to get? And then I would see something and then I saw a kid's album like, oh, I want to grab some stuff for the kids. Like I get like Annie on vinyl. I love it. The other thing I love is when you put on a record, you listen to the entire album you don't skip a song because you don't like it. You just listen to the whole right. album. Right. And you, it also, it sets a tone for what you're experiencing. You know, like I like to put on Beck, you know, sure. like the third morning phase, that album, on like Sunday mornings when I get up and the kids are up and I'm making breakfast. I put on that and it's a whole different vibe than what I would put on at like 5 o'clock in the afternoon, you know. I mean, I know that's true of of music in general, but you experience an artist when you listen to vinyl. Whereas if I was just putting on your playlist, we'd hear a whole bunch of different stuff.
2: Yes, and and you go you go through the whole side. You let yeah. the side play. That's uh, that's re- so you start with the cut one that's the hit or whatever yeah. they put on, and then you hear stuff that today you wouldn't hear. No, today you move right to the singles
1: and songs that you probably don't even know or don't like you know like if you went to grab like a neil young album mm-hmm. and you want to hear out on the weekend you put that on and then if you feel like let it run you're like oh what, what's this song and then the other thing is you have to be involved with the music when it ends you have to go over you have to flip it then when that ends you have to take it out you have to find the next album you have to pick and like you're involved you know yeah. you you have to be present for it yeah that's just not going on anymore yes sir Listening to Jimmy's voice, couldn't you just listen to him talk about anything forever? This is one of those occasions where I wish I had had video, because if you could see the animation of his face when he gets into talking about things he's passionate about, most specifically his family, once he starts talking about his kids, which we're going to hear in a little bit, you see this passion in him when he tells me about his road trip to northern california when he introduced his kids for the first time to the beatles or you know what they're doing now and where they're at it's it's pretty amazing when you hear about somebody who was able to open up 34 record shops and then sell them and then open up another chain of stores and then sell them and then he takes five years off to go raise his kids and knew that that was something that was important to him, and then started another business. And now, as a man who's finally retired, which with him, I don't know if he'll ever be retired because he might find something else he wants to conquer, but how important his kids are to him. And for me being a dad, and a dad I put before a comedian, and I put before a writer or a podcast host, seeing someone who constantly throughout this interview if you get the full epi- the full interview on Patreon you'll hear that anytime we started talking about anything in regards to records he would immediately turn it and want to talk about me as a comedian or as a dad or how I parented or how I raised my kids or what we like to do or hear about the kids or tell me about his and it it was so refreshing because he has lived about four lives and yet the thing that he would find most interesting was just the conversation and you don't see that that much anymore. Someone who's just naturally interested in hearing about you and who you are and where you're from and who his kids were and who his kids are. And this next chunk I I knew had to be in here because for me, it was what ultimately Jimmy Green was all about. So listen to this next chunk uh when i sat down with jimmy greenwood
2: i want i want to go i, I want to hear about your raising kids i'll be uh, okay i'll tell that, you i
1: want to know about you're raising kids because you're introducing them to music you had a record shop were they like did they work there no they never no. worked there
2: no we had our first kid in 1981 tessa the oh. one who's in park slope
1: oh, okay uh,
2: so they never did they listened to cassettes we had a lot of music around Luke is a savant player. Taylor made three albums. Really? Patty, my wife, uh, recorded for Capitol Records. Oh, amazing. Uh, so she has a music background. The kids love music. Yeah. my you know, kids who don't love music? What is no. it? Oh my God.
1: It's like a- I want to meet them. My kids love it. My boy especially loves it and yeah. loves it. He always likes to pretend he's got a guitar. My friend made him a ukulele, so he's got his own little ukulele. I love that. And, I'm, you know, my neighbor is a musician and a composer, and we share a wall. He's friends with Andrew as well, my buddy Jason. And so he'll play piano, and the kids will hear him, and they'll play their piano because they can hear him through the wall and stuff like that. I love I love the idea of them being interested in music. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just a different language.
2: And they pick it up, and it's it's the best. It but you never language. played? I, I played guitar. I played violin. But I never played. Oh, I took yeah. lessons yeah. as a kid. Yeah. Uh, program. I'm circling back. Yeah. Your friends who think they're living in a
1: program. Yeah.
2: Well, they are, A right?
1: simulation.
2: A simulation.
1: Yeah. Yes.
2: And and they find that a handicap or something that they can base their steps on?
1: I think they, I think it just allows them to like look at life differently maybe, that you don't have to be so, I don't know, focused on anything or taking things as serious and you know, I I really have no idea. It's tough for me to put my, to wrap my head around. Yeah. You know, I'd rather just like try to get to nature as much as possible, that's like my only goal.
2: There's where it is. Yeah. There's where it is. I'm with you. Um, program. The program is spiritual. Uh, we all live in it. We all can uh, make sense of it or fight against it.
1: I have no idea if you can make sense of it.
2: It is not the organized religion, it is not the institutionalized religion. For sure. It is the concept that we're in a program. Yeah. Somebody, something provided it. I've always thought that the keys to that life are. Generosity, gratitude, faith, and forgiveness. Uh,
1: Generosity, gratitude, faith, and forgiveness. Okay.
2: It seems when I'm looking for the path, one of those four seems to be the answer. Uh, They're incorporated all over the place. Yeah. The path. Path. Program. Yeah. Hello. (laughs) That's an interesting
1: perspective. Thank you. (laughs) Did you put that into your kids as well? Was there religion in the house with your kids?
2: My son was bar mitzvahed. Okay. The other kids, not so much. We're very Jewish light. Yeah. Maybe ultra light.
1: Okay, but why were you like, yeah, he should, he should have but the other kid shouldn't. He wanted to. Oh, really? Yeah. One of those kids who knows what he wants (laughs) in life.
2: He knew what he wanted. He knew they'd have a big party. Totally. (laughs) Money.
1: Where does he live now? Closer
2: He's in San Francisco. He's the only one left in San Francisco. One time we had three kids and two grandchildren up there. Oh, really? And the ones that uh, moved to New York. Uh, Got a job back there, and they're in New York now. And Chelsea's also the the third daughter's in New York.
1: That's amazing. Growing up kids. Not in Brooklyn?
2: Uh, Chelsea lives in Brooklyn, and Tessa and Buddy and the kids live in Brooklyn. Oh, that's the best. Taylor
1: lives here. That's why you're going to be there for a month. That's right. So let me ask you this. When you sell the record stores in 84, did you retire?
2: I didn't. We had another store called Oz. Cards and gifts. There's still a couple of them around. We sold that in '87, and then I retired for five years (laughs) because I had little kids. Yeah, and I wanted to be with the kids. Yeah, Uh, I thought time that was irreplaceable.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're you're preaching to the choir, man. Well, there you go. I mean, that's perspective. That's the ability to see something great within a tiny tiny thing and when you and you when you see that what he was able to accomplish in his life and how calm i mean he had no shoes on or socks when we were sitting there talking walking around his yard barefoot and sitting down in the in the he's got this great garage converted into this room where we were sitting with all 7000 records on the wall and one record player and a table almost like a almost like a big dining room table that you would sit and you would eat the music as if it was served to you, but to hear him have this perspective on the world, knowing he kept saying throughout the interview that record stores were part of the cultural universe and they really were. He didn't just create a record store. He created an environment for people to congregate and to be a part of society. Take music and use that to connect people together where they were hanging out in the parking lots or they were hanging out inside grabbing some licorice and, and behind it all he's like a, a businessman where he's giving you the element of taste and feel and sound that, that's that's not what everyone is considering I think when they're starting a business but it, to me. I think that he did. And I think he did it with good intentions up and down. And I loved every minute of sitting down with him. And do yourself a favor go to the Patreon page and listen to that full interview. And Mark's as well, because this is the beauty of what I love about this podcast is that we're using vinyl records to go from you have Mark, who doesn't have any kids, is a man alone on stage, or a man who's interviewing one on one with people on a podcast. And he's able to take his energy and time and dive into things and obsess over them because he's got, he has such a passion and love for it. And then you have, and he goes to his record store owners to get insight on music. And here I have on the other end of this podcast, a record store owner. Who took his love and his passion and put it into his family and decided to take all that energy he was putting into what that work was and put it on the back burner so he could just be with his kids. And it's really interesting to me, the guy behind the counter in the store and the guy walking into the store, that you might have completely different objectives, completely different goals, completely different likes or loves, but when you walk in that shop, you're only there for one thing, and that's music. And they say music is a thing that brings people together because there is no barrier. You know, it's music just sounds good. And I love to death that I was able to bring these two together for this episode. And I hope that next time... You're walking past a record shop. You stop and you think, yeah, maybe I'll go buy a record. Just buy a record for you or for someone else or maybe you're going to start collecting or maybe you're going to give it to someone else that you know listens to records because there's such a cool shop where we buy everything online nowadays and you just download music instead of actually holding it in your hands. Vinyl is a really, really cool way to experience music. And whether it's cds buy a cd because someone took the time to make it or a cassette because someone took the time to record it but either way i think the thing that i take away most from this is be passionate about things have love for them and make them a part of your life i'm jay larson thank you for listening to the through line we'll talk to you next week